Hello. How are we? How are we doing? Can you believe a few things? Good night. This is episode 30 of the Between Me and Drew podcast. Like, this is crazy. Time is flying. We're already on almost 30 weeks of doing this, which is incredible. Amazing. I honestly didn't really know what to expect when we started this whole show. (laughs) And here we are. So that's number one. Number two, it is the end of April. Like, where is the year going? Oh, my gosh. Um, And I, I do think that today's topic is very, very timely, kind of given the season that we're in, the weather patterns that we're seeing. Um, and um, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Um, I should probably introduce myself. Uh, my name is Drew, and this is the Between Me and Drew podcast with Clara Joyce Flowers. And I have the honor of owning and operating this amazing farm, this amazing design business, everything, um, here in Northwestern Illinois with an amazing group of people that work here. And um, I'm just very happy to be able to share my knowledge, my experience, the things that I've learned and picked up along the way, and maybe give you a few nuggets and little tidbits um, to help you on your journey. So, that's what we've got going on uh, today. Uh, I'm I'm hashing over and talking about uh, ways to and things that we do uh, here on the farm to manage risk, which is ve- a very broad topic. It's a very um, something that might seem not quite uh, tangible, um, but it's a thought process and kind of a way of life that we've integrated uh, into multiple different ways here on the farm um, that we 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 practice on a daily basis. Um, So we're going to break down our time in this topic uh, kind of in two big categories. The first that we're going to talk about is plants, which is honestly the most interesting thing. Um, And then once we move into the second half of today's episode, um, we'll talk about ways to manage risk with people, um, which is very boring, um, can seem like it's going to cost you a lot of money, um, and um, but it is very, very important. Of managing risk with people and we'll, we'll get more into that in a little bit but um that's what we've got and without any further ado let's you know dive in so i do want to kind of preface um our time together with this that um i am not an expert I am just someone that does this on a daily basis. So there will be things that we talk about that might not apply to you. There might be things that, you know, other growers, other professionals have told you about um, managing your risk or insurances or things like this that I'm or things like that that I'm, I might not even talk about. Um, and that's, you know, totally cool because this is just me being me talking to you. That's all this is. Um, so let's kind of get into this and I said that we're going to start talking with plants first of all um which I think it, it managing your risk with you know a growing crop or something that is very much alive um can seem very daunting because if that thing dies you know party's over um so with that in your mind um, there are a few things that we do. And the biggest thing that I, I know has immense value that I think is very undervalued um, is the ability to grow in a structure. 
And this can be a low tunnel, this can be a caterpillar tunnel, this can be, you know, fully indoors under grow lights in a shed, this can be in a full-fledged greenhouse. Any sort of structure is going to give you so much protection against weather elements. And I'm talking, you know, on both ends of the spectrum when it comes to weather. So growing in a structure gives you huge protection against, you know, damaging storms like hail and sleet. It gives you protection against unseasonal frosts. It gives you winter growing protection um, and kind of shielding you to a certain degree um, passively um, through, you know, crazy, crazy, you know, low winter temperatures that we see here in the Midwest. Um, so you have that, but you also have the, you know, amazing benefits of growing in, a, in under greenhouses and in structures. Um, that would be things like increased stem length, um, certain, you know, things like that. Um, so if you're looking at a structure as a tool and, and in a way that you can manage your risk, if you're able to grow both in a structure and in the field, let's say, you know, you've got two beautiful crops of dahlias. One is in the field, one is in a greenhouse or a structure of some capacity. And you get, you know, a wicked windstorm early in the season and it knocks over all of your field dahlias. Um, well, you can either cut them back or prop them back up and they'll keep going. Um, but your greenhouse ones are totally cool, you know, like no problem there. So you're now going to have early dahlias from your greenhouse crop and your field dahlias might be a week or two delayed because of that disturbance in the spring growing season, which is fine. Stuff like that happens all the time. So once your, your, your greenhouse dahlias are hitting full stride, then your field crop is going to start to come in. Well, let's say, hypothetically, because this would never happen in real life, but let's say that your greenhouse dahlias, since they are in a hotter environment, are starting to go downhill because they're just getting too hot during these you know crazy late summer and early fall days. Um, well, their productivity is going to start to go down. But since you've got another crop outside, which is going to be a naturally a little bit cooler since it's not in a greenhouse environment, you're, you're totally set, okay? So you've managed your risk by having that structure twice, two times now that that has come into play, that one building, okay? So now we're coming into late fall, and oh my gosh, you are going to get an early frost. There's nothing you can do about it, and your field dahlias are totally toast. See ya. So now you've lost that, but you still have those dahlias in that greenhouse and that greenhouse plastic that you've rolled down and you've, you know, sealed up the ends of that greenhouse. 90% of the crop in that greenhouse is totally fine. The frost didn't damage it. So now that investment of that structure has come into play three times during that one growing season for that one crop. That is huge. Okay. So, so huge. Another way to manage risk when it comes to plants or growing is to grow multiple types of things. I think it cracks me up when someone is only growing one or two things and then something bad happens to that one crop and it's like party's over for them for that season. Um, so if you are growing and if you're marketing your crops to a sales channel that can use and utilize multiple different crops and blooms and different things like this there's then there's no reason that you can't 
you know, broaden your offerings a little bit. Um, so let's say, again, you know, you, you're growing dahlias, sunflowers, and celosia. Those are the three that you're focusing on. Let's say your dahlias get hit with European hemp borer, which is becoming more and more common. And that is delayed for a little bit because those plants are now having to recover from that insect damage. But your sunflowers are doing fantastic and your celosia has never been better. So now, since you have diversified a little bit, your dahlias are going to be delayed. So you can't plan on those, but you've got two other very, very saleable crops that are wild, widely usable. Okay. Um, another example of this would be if you're growing um, large amounts of peonies, large amounts of zinnias, and large amounts of snapdragons or whatever. If you've got those three and on a good season you have access to all three of those in large quantities, but let's say you get a late frost and it wipes out you know, all of the terminal buds on your peonies. Well, that's a problem. Um, so instead of having, you know, a thousand stems of peony to sell, you might only have 500, but your early greenhouse snapdragons are beautiful and your early, your, you know, transplanted zinnias are right behind. So you're just going to have to kind of adjust your plan, which is again, more reason to diversify your crop production plan. Huge fan of that. Um, another thing when it comes to planting is successions. Um, instead of having just one planting of a certain crop, you know, maybe plant a couple rounds of that. And the biggest thing that we see this with is sunflowers and more so um, with accent pieces like cosmos and amaranth, um, certain things that are very easy to direct seed if you're down for direct seeding. Um, if you, again, we're going to rely on weather being an issue here, which is becoming more and more unreliable. If you, you know, are experiencing either hail or crazy winds or, God forbid, a tornado, and it wipes out half of your production, um, you, you will have successions of those crops coming into maturity at later dates. So let's say the time when a tornado hits your farm or a hurricane or whatever the case is, a crop that might have been, you know, one foot, two foot, three foot or more higher above the ground, those are probably going to have some very immense damage claims on those crops, okay? But something that might have just been emerging, was freshly germinated, or would only be, you know, a couple inches tall, yes, they're probably going to have a little leaf damage and some tatter here and there, but chances are that they're going to grow out of that. So within a few weeks of that very traumatic situation, you will have a crop that will be saleable. So that's huge. Um, and that all ties back to the principle of succession planting. And here on the farm, we do the majority of our succession planting via direct seeding. But you can definitely do this, um, this practice of planting multiple crops in a season of that one specific type with transplants as well. Um, the, reason, the reason we do more succession planting with direct seeding is because it can be a little bit of a challenge to produce a good quality transplant in the heat of summer um, if you're growing that transplant in a greenhouse environment just because one greenhouses in the summer are wicked hot okay number two we have a lot of stuff going on in the summertime so always making sure that those transplants get watered every now and then sometimes falls off the priority list um, and that 
situation can be avoided if you have a, an automatic misting system in that propagation house or that greenhouse that you're growing your transplants in. So there are things that you can do to, to kind of make that situation work for you. Um, let's see. Another thing with successions, and this kind of ties directly into, not kind of, it very much fully does directly tie into our sponsor for today, which is Leo Burby Bulb Co. from Marysville, Ohio, which I absolutely adore. Um, grow crops that are very schedulable. And the biggest one that I see in regards to this is lilies. Lilies are very, very schedulable. Um, the reason Burby's ties directly into this is because during your off season, when you are planning your year ahead of you, you can schedule, you know, one crate or two crates or three crates, whatever you think you're going to need to be shipped to you every 10 days, every 14 days, once a month, you know, whatever the case is for your situation. So that if something happens to succession planting number three, and you're only able to harvest 30% of that crop in good saleable quality, you will have another rotation ready to go very shortly after that. Um, and again, scheduling that out, integrating a succession plan in a very passive way because you're bringing in another company to help you with this process um, is very, very beneficial. So huge proponents of that. And there are lots of things that you can, you know, succession plant out when it comes to, to bulb products. Um, lilies, I think, are the most common. We're seeing a lot of this done with tulips and tulip forcing. Different season um, of the year, but again, very, very schedulable. Um, there's lots of things. Dutch iris, I think, have a lot of potential when it comes to scheduling out. Um, Liatris, I know that people force on a scheduled basis in greenhouses. So all of those things can apply um, and are just another way to help manage your risk so that you have something to sell. Because we're not making money unless we're selling things because that's the business that we're in. Um, so that is very, very huge. Um, I think this next point um, is very important, especially at this time of year, because we're in what we would now consider our shoulder season. Um, and that is kind of a term that we use to reference the, you know, either depending on your area, a couple weeks or month on either end of the main summer growing season. And we call this the shoulder season because, you know, some years it might be beautiful, no frosts, you know, consistent temperatures, great for growing and getting transplants established. Other years, we could have, you know, a late frost, and that can, you know, cause some problems um, with transplants that really shouldn't be taking a frost. But if we're smart in the way that we grow, we would be planting things out early that can handle this frost. Um, so for us, an example of this would be when we seed and schedule out crops like amobium, straw flower, status. Those three are huge for us to be planted out early. Um, our last frost week is week 16 usually, um, but we're planting out those annual plugs for those three crops in particular, you know, at the end of March, because we know that they can handle weeks and weeks of cold temperatures. And honestly, I think it really helps their longevity and their long-term productivity if we can get them planted out earlier. So that's huge. Um, same thing for the fall, you know, and if you know that you need lots of product as late in the season as possible, 
I probably would not suggest you planting five rounds of zinnias if you have a shorter season because those last two successions of zinnias are probably barely going to come into full production before they get taken out by frost or damaged by frost. So instead, focus on crops that can handle those colder temperatures. Things like straw flower, bingo, amobium, bingo, um, some of your asclepia, like Oscar, it's kind of weird looking, but it can handle those cold temperatures. Um, Oh my gosh, flowering kale, flowering cabbage. Those are amazing because they just get better as the temperatures get colder. They become more and more vibrant. Um, even standard kale, like red boar um, and red Russian, those individual leaves get long enough that you can break them off and use them as filler and greenery in a mixed bouquet or in an arrangement. And those can go into into like early winter and be totally fine. Um, I know in previous years for field-planted kale, we would be out there chipping the ice off of these plants, harvesting them <laughs> because we needed to fill quantity orders. Um, and they're totally fine. Totally fine. Um, so it's, again, implementing those crops that can help you on your shoulder seasons um, that is really going to make you more profitable on a long-term scale. Um, and again, you know, utilizing growing structures and you know, growing these crops that can handle those cold temperatures in those growing structures is only going to increase your window of sale um, and make you more and more profit during the course of your season. So, so, so much that you can do um, and ways that you can use these little bits and pieces to make your puzzle bigger, honestly. Because if you can utilize crops that can handle cold temperatures in multiple different growing zones, be it field, unheated caterpillar tunnel, heated greenhouse, you now will be able to have product to sell for a very, very, very long time. Okay. Um, so that is huge. So, so huge. Um, this The next thing that we're going to talk about, I think, can be a little scary. Um and maybe, honestly, sometimes out of reach for a lot of people, um, myself included, for a very long time. And that is the topic of crop insurance. And this can be a very, very, very difficult topic to maneuver, a difficult, difficult topic to kind of work through and really understand. Um, I hope that if you are on the journey or on the, in the process of securing crop insurance that it is going or has gone easier for you than it has for me um, but in our area we are very much predominantly field and row crop production when it comes to agric agriculture crops like corn soybeans wheat rye alfalfa etc that is all very commonly insured um, it's very straightforward it's a very straightforward process to ensure 100 acres of corn. It is not the, the, the same thought process um, when it comes to ensuring a high-intensity production small crop farm, specialty crop small farm, I should say. Um, so f first of all, finding someone to insure your crop can be a challenge. Um, and secondly, finding someone who really is willing to take the time to understand what you are selling can be an even bigger challenge. Um, and I think one of the things that I kept running into and still do is that our book of business is so immensely diverse. 
that it is very, very challenging for me to put a single dollar value on a crop. Okay, so this is this is very straightforward for a lot of people because a lot of people grow peonies. So we're going to talk about peonies. I know that a good producing variety, a variety for cut flower production. So let's say Sarah Bernhardt because my God, she's beautiful. She's everywhere, adorable. Sarah Bernhardt, a year four crop, maybe year five. Those plants are going to going to be consistently producing at least twelve stems per plant. Okay. Well, yes, those they might be producing 12 stems, but, 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 we sell peonies through multiple different channels. At market, peonies are $3 a stem. Wholesale, Sarah Bernhardt's, uh, start off at around $2, $2 a stem. If we're using these for wedding and event work, then they're going to be roughly $9 a stem. So it is very difficult for me to determine what to ensure that one specific crop at. So what I could do is take those three prices, those three price points, and you know figure out your average and then multiply that out. And then multiply that out by your total estimated stems, harvestable stems of that one crop, okay? So let's say for shits and giggles, we could maybe estimate that we will harvest $60,000 worth of peonies this season, okay? Is that realistic? Oh, of course. Maybe not for everybody, but on a production scale, absolutely. It is going to cost me a lot, a lot of money to ensure that one specific crop, but I only really have two weeks in order to harvest that crop. So would I insure that 60000 for the entirety of the year for that one specific crop? Or would I only insure it for those two weeks during harvest season? But if I only insure it during harvest season, what if I get an early, really, really hard frost and it kills all of the buds, not just the terminals, but all of the buds? Now I've spent $60,000 worth of insurance coverage on nothing that I'm not even going to get because I paid for it ahead of time, even though I'm not in my dated range of insurance. Okay, so there's that. But if we zoom out farther, out of just peony season, we grow over 150 different types of plants here. If we're talking both annuals and perennials and greenhouse crops and all of those things, okay? So it is very, very challenging to focus just on crop insurance from our perspective because we're not growing just corn and soybeans. We're growing peonies and amobium and straw flowers and dahlias and zinnias and lisianthus and lilies and all of the things. So that's where it becomes challenging. The other thing is you have to figure out, you know, how much do I want to spend? How much am I willing to spend on insurance? And then go from there. Um, so there are lots and lots of things when it comes to insurance. And I know that there are lots of farms that don't have any form of crop insurance. Um, and if you do that, and if you go that route, you have to have to rely on the diversity of your production in order to play it safe. And again, this is why we need to have this discussion of ways to manage your risk through a passive process. Because if you aren't operating with crop insurance, 
there is no reason that you should not have three different established growing zones. Field, unheated tunnel, heated greenhouse. Okay, there is no reason that you should not have a very established production plan of both perennials and annuals. And within that, an immense selection of crops that are going to be harvested at different points in the season. So that if, God forbid, something happens to you during peak production in the middle of summer, you will still have things to sell in the spring and in the fall. So that you don't have zero income for the year. You should always have something. So... That's that. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about in regards to uh, an actual growing system or growing process when it comes to managing risk is that of irrigation. And for the love of God, irrigation is so, so important. And I, I definitely, definitely took that for granted for a very, very long time here on our farm. And it wasn't until the summer of 2021 when we got zero rain for months that it made me realize how drastically insufficient our current irrigation system was. Um, because prior to that, we got beautiful rains, if not every week, every other week, and things just flourish. But it only takes one year of you losing 90% of your annual production, like we did, to a drought to realize that the $40,000 the forty thousand spent on a new well is so worth it. So worth it. And I'm, I'm very realistic with you when I say that we lost 90% of our annual cut flower production last year. We, we were not going to get by unless it was with the perennials that we had and the things that we were able to get planted in the end of March because the, they had time to send their roots down deep and be able to find water because we had to make the decision of one, do we keep our greenhouse crops and our wedding dahlias alive? Or two, do we try and be Superman and try and irrigate everything and then have even more stuff die? So we chose option one and it was literally survival mode because we would be, you know, changing waterings in the, changing irrigation in the greenhouse is like in the middle of the night you know first thing in the morning you'd turn one greenhouse off you would quick take your shower in the house do your load of laundry and then you'd turn the field dahlias on because there just was not enough water to go around so this spring 2022 we <laughs> are are uh, getting a an agricultural field well and i'm so excited um, because now hopefully we should have enough water to do what we really need to do if that situation arises, which we are kind of expecting that for this season. Um, we are expecting another very dry year here in the Midwest, so I do know that um, this new well will be uh, getting a workout. So let's hope that it all works. All right, guys, I am going to take a little break. I need uh, a drink of water and I will be back. But um, before I come back, we have a message from Burbies about their wonderful products and the services that they offer. Um, and they're just an all around amazing company. So I will chat with you in one minute. Leo Burby Bulb Company is your one-stop shop for all bulbs, bare roots, and perennials. 
Family-owned and operated for over 50 years, Leo Burby Bulb strives on providing exceptional customer service. While Leo Burby specializes in bulbs for spring and fall planting, they also have a young plants division that can broker plants from over 30 different growers. Whether you order online or call in and chat, the process is simple. No order is too small or large, and there's no boxing minimums on orders. Family-owned and operated, the customer service is extraordinary. Use the code DREW when you place your order online to get a free gift with your purchase. Again, that's code DREW to get a free gift with your purchase. Thank you, Leo Burby, for being amazing. And if you're listening, thank you for purchasing from Leo Burby. Um, without your support, small family businesses like Burby's and ourselves would have a very hard time making all of this beauty happen. So um, thank you so much. Okay, now let's move into the second half of our little chit-chat today. Um, and we're going to talk about the people behind, um, or let's let's rephrase that. We're going to talk about <laughs> ways to manage your risk when it comes to people. There we go. Um, and this is going to be a little bit, um, I don't want to say more of a dense discussion, um, but let's just get rolling. So I think that there is one big process um, or thought process that you need to kind of keep in mind um, when you're selling anything. It can be wedding flowers. It can be wholesale flowers. It can be flowers at farmer's market. It can be whatever. Um, you really need to understand the risk that you are taking with the actions and the transactions that you are carrying out. So point number one is know your clientele base. So if you are... Um, selling to a farmer's market customer, you are going to have a very much diff of a different uh, experience and personnel rather than if you were delivering a finished wedding design. Okay. So, and your coverage via insurance or just understanding, understanding the risks that you are taking will vary between the two of those. Um, so that's number one. Number two is know your sales avenue. So if you are selling through a grocery store, whether it's, you know, a small local store or if it's a chain, that is, again, going to be different rather than if you were selling at a farm stand on your property. Okay. So understanding your clientele and understanding your sales avenue or your, your place of sale. Um, again, very, very important. Um, and those two things do play a role, a huge role and factor into um, the insurance that you really, really should need. And when it comes to insuring an actual product or a person, um, it is much easier rather than coming to this from a crop insurance perspective because crop insurance is very much different rather than a retail product um, so you, you need to understand that as well um, that oftentimes a crop insurance policy or a farm insurance policy will not cover a retail product um, because a retail policy is is totally different okay um, so if you are selling to or at a farmer's market, there's a really good chance that your farmer's market manager or managing um, organization is going to re requ require you to have 
a certain level of liability insurance. I know for our farmers markets, it's a minimum of $1 million. Um, and that is oftentimes quite, quite standard um, for a, a sizable farmers market because you have to have coverage on the product that you're selling, the materials that are making up your booth, um, your tent, your tables, your tablecloths, your banners, all that stuff in case, God forbid, the wind picked up your tent and it took out five people. One of them got impaled and died, and the other three had long-term damages. You have to have some level of liability in in and coverage in regards to that, okay? Um, because that is that is your property, that is your tent. Um, so that that is important. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that um, if you are, you know, delivering a finished wedding design, your liability insurance is going to need to kind of reflect that. So you're going to need to um, want to make sure that you and your employees are covered on venue grounds, that your vehicles are covered for venue grounds, that the product that you are delivering is insured because it would be a real bummer if you had $10,000 worth of wedding flowers in your van and you got stranded on the side of the highway somewhere and you a weren't able to deliver and b now your product is useless okay it is not, it has no value if it is trashed damaged or late when it comes to weddings um, so having some level of insurance both on you your vehicle and that product inside that vehicle is huge so so huge um, also let's say you are on a 20-foot ladder installing smilax in the peaks of an outdoor wedding venue and you fall well that's probably going to be a problem um so again insurance on that is a lot easier to navigate beforehand rather than what we talked about previously when it comes to crop insurance so that's huge um so insurance on your venue space insurance on and knowing who you're selling to where you're selling at those things are going to play into this retail or resale um, insurance policy. So understand that. If you ever are going to have people coming to your property, you really, really, really are going to want to consider um, and, and look into a policy on those people as well. And I say those people because I'm going to be quite frank with you. There are going to be people that come to your farm stand, come to your farm, come to your farm tours, etc., that do not give a shit about you. <laughs> and they could care less if they have to sue you because they fell in a hole and broke their ankle or if they fell off the steps at your farm store or if they whatever, okay? That's just how people are. Is that how a lot of people are? No, absolutely not. I've, I know that we have had a farm stand here for three, four years which is not a long time, but we do have a decent amount of people come out in the spring and fall. Um, and we've never really had a major issue, knock on wood. So fortunate. Um, but, I mean, you, you have to, you know, protect yourself in situations like that and understand, you know, what you are taking on when you open up a farm stand at the entrance of your driveway or on your front porch like we have or whatever the case is. Um and, and even if you have, you know, a little trailer, self-serve trailer out by the road, 
if someone is pulled over on the side of the road and they are coming to you, that they are your problem now, okay? Um, even though they're in the public domain and they're in the ditch or they're parked in the ditch or whatever, it's still you. They're coming to you. Um, so understand that. That that could be something that you really need to look into. Um Becoming an LLC can be another really smart and tactful way to kind of maneuver your limit of obligation um, when it comes from a personal perspective, when it comes to having to navigate situations that can come from things going wrong. Um, so, you know, really take a look into and understand, you know, the processes that go into becoming an LLC, the costs that go into becoming an LLC, um, and really truly weighing those in the grand scheme of things. So that's huge. Also, understanding that when you have employees, um, having a level of um, insurance and coverage for those employees is huge on your part too, and that comes into play in regards to workman's compensation. Um, and I, I understand that workman's compensation can vary greatly from state to state. Um, so understanding that and doing your homework and finding someone that you trust when it comes to agricultural workman's comp is very important. Um, but knowing that and understanding that um, that should be a priority for you is is very, very important as well. Um, and workman's compensation can be, you know, anything. Somebody, you know, getting in a car accident in your, in your company vehicle. Um, workman's comp could be someone breaking their arm because they dropped... I don't know, a crate of Dahlia tubers or whatever. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, things happen. Um, and it's better to have a level of protection for you, yourself, and your employee rather than having nothing at all. And now being out an employee, having a disgruntled employee because you can't pay for it, or C, having um, medical bills just handed to you because you this happened on your operation. All things to to understand. My biggest takeaway and my my thing that I want you to kind of take away from this, the second half, is that you should not have to go through this process of insurance and workman's comp and all of the things alone because you don't have to. Um, what I would very strongly encourage and suggest is you find an insurance broker or insurance professional that has worked with farms or small businesses previously. And those should be their current clientele. And, you know, rely on them because they are professionals. You know, ask them, hey, this is my situation. This is what I do. And be very upfront with them too. And say, look, what would you suggest? And what are my options? And if they only come back with one option, then that's not the right person for you. <laughs> Because you should have multiple options, multiple levels of coverage, um, and you know you should be able to weigh on a personal level um, your risks that you have in business and make the best decision that is correct for you. Because no one else can make that other than you. Okay, this is this is your department, this is your business, this is your baby, and you know it best. Okay, mother's intuition, and. No one is going to be able to tell you what is better for your business than you. So making smart decisions, relying on professionals, reaching out, asking for help, those are huge, 
huge, huge, huge. So that's what I have for you for today. Um, so in recap, we've talked about ways to manage risks from a plant and a growing perspective, um, which I think is something that it's a process and a thought process and a mindset really that we rely very heavily on. Um, and number two, we talked about ways that we can um, or really should be managing and weighing our risks in regard to a people process, um, primarily through ways of insurance and, and you know, covering our, ourselves in, in that regard. Um, so relying on professionals is very, very important if you are not a professional in that area yourself. With that, that is going to wrap up today's episode here at the end of May, April. Oh my gosh, it's almost May. It's gonna be May. Um, anyway, thank you for being here. Please do follow us on social media. Um, you can find us on Facebook at clarajoyceflowers.com or on Instagram at clarajoyceflowers. That didn't make any sense. Facebook is not a .com. Facebook is just Clara Joyce Flowers, and Instagram is Clara Joyce Flowers as well. Um, if you have questions about today's topic or ideas for new topics, um, send me an email. Drew at ClaraJoyceFlowers.com is the best way to get a hold of me. Um, on our website, ClaraJoyceFlowers.com, we've got cut flower seeds. Um, sometimes there's plants depending on the season um, and merch available as well. Um, we've also got awesome new subscriptions available and flowers that you can send to yourself or a friend or a loved one or whatever. Um, so we'll ship them right to your door from our farm. And I'm super excited about that. We didn't introduce those again in 2021, but we did previously. Um, and I'm excited to have them back. Super stoked. Also, depending on your streaming platform, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on our podcast. Um, and I do enjoy reading your little tidbits of um, reviews. So thank you for those as well. And in closing, Burbies, thank you so much for being fantastic. Thank you for being a family-owned business that's been around for a while. You've got great product, super reliable, and I absolutely adore everyone on your team. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being so amazing. With that, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a wonderful and successful growing season. And I can't wait to see you next week when we talk about, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, my top 10 woody type plant perennials for cut flower production. I'm super excited for that. So I will see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.